Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hi, welcome back to Gather by the Ghostlight, original stories for radio theater. I'm Jonathan Cook, your host, producer, and sometimes voice actor on this thing. Thank you all for tuning in, and happy 4th of July! It's the 4th, doofus! Independence Day! You gotta celebrate freedom! Here we are again, celebrating a marvelous Independence Day, and today... We're going to let freedom ring with a new, marvelous audio play written by Arthur M. Jolly. Mr. Jolly is the writer of over 75 produced plays and screenplays. He has been recognized by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences with a Nickel Fellowship in screenwriting, and he has won numerous playwriting awards over the years. And today, you're going to hear his short play called New Kid Next Door. This story takes place on the 4th of July, and you're about to meet Carrie and Simone. Two siblings who are currently stuck entertaining the new strange kid from next door after his parents were invited over for an Independence Day get-together. Turns out, this new kid isn't very familiar with fireworks and all that good stuff that goes along with celebrating the 4th of July, and he's actually much creepier than they ever expected. Now, gather around the ghost light, sit back and enjoy. This is New Kid Next Door, written by Arthur M. Jolly. And be sure to stick around after the story to hear an interview with this writer. What do you mean you don't celebrate the 4th? Where are you even from? Wheelock Mill. It's in Maine. They don't have Independence Day in Maine? Other people do. We don't. No cookouts? No nothing? We never have. Not even fireworks? I've never seen fireworks. Okay, hold on. You've never seen fireworks? No. You've never seen fireworks? No. Not ever? No. He says he's never seen fireworks. I know, I'm here too. Not even once? You've seen them on TV though, right? We do not have a TV. Whoa, how do you... Is that like a thing? How does that even... What do you watch? Are you like... Amish or something? Like a religious thing? I don't think so. My parents don't seem very interested in those things. But I am happy that you invited us here. We never go where we aren't invited. Okay, well, let's get one thing straight. My parents asked over your parents. I don't think they knew you existed. So you're just like, here. Don't be mean. He's weird. I'm sorry, my sister can be a jerk. Sammy, can I... Can I talk to you a sec? Over here. Come on. Okay, this kid's weird. Yeah. I don't know why mom and dad want us to play with him. I don't think they care. They just didn't want us around while they drink. Happy 4th of July. I would like to see a firework. They'll have them tonight. Are you going down to the lake with everyone? My parents never leave the house after dark. Yeah. Weird. Carrie! He is! You are! Your parents are! 
You don't have TV. You don't play any video games. You don't know any sports. You don't celebrate anything. You don't go out after... What do you even do every night? We wait for morning. You wait. We are very good at waiting. Oh, brother. You never leave the house after dark? My parents think it would not be safe. Not safe? This is Cyprus. This is like the most safe, most boring... Nothing happens here. That's why we moved here. To be safe. To be quiet. Not seen. But not after dark. It would be not safe. It's never safe. It would be worse after dark. Well, if you were ever going to, I mean, tonight would be the night. Sneak out. Go see the fireworks with us at Town Lake. It's like ten minutes walk along the bayou. I heard a radio announcer describe a fireworks display once. That was a long time ago. 1937. You heard a recording made in 1937 of someone describing fireworks. They played that on the radio. Well, that's almost as good. Uh, So you guys have a radio at your house? No. (sighs) But we used to. Now you just wait. Sit around until it's time to go to bed, waiting. I like the summer. The nights don't last as long. For the last three nights, we have heard the sound of fireworks in the distance. Ooh, what about firecrackers? Do you ever blow stuff up in the daytime? No. What? No. I know what you're thinking. We would get in so much trouble. You won't miss them. Dad got a bag of fireworks and a case of beer. And there's only four of them drinking, if your parents even drink. They don't. Figured. So by the time it gets dark, he probably won't even remember he bought the fireworks at all. They were in a paper bag on the back porch, mostly fountains and Roman candles, but there's a cracker bomb in there. It's like a bunch of really powerful firecrackers, in a tube, and you can pull them apart and send them off separately. Blow up all kinds of things. If you stick one in a soda can, it'll rip it wide open. How are you going to get the bag without him seeing? I don't know. They're really quiet back there. Maybe they went inside to watch this stupid parade. Show your parents what a TV is. Maybe they're dead. Okay. If you stick one under a rock, it'll go like 20 feet in the air. But you gotta run when you light it, because you never know what direction the rock will go. I heard there was one kid over at Woods High lost an eye doing that. Just went BAM! Right into his face. What happens if you put a firecracker under an animal? An animal? What kind of- Any animal. Or feed one to a dog or something. That's sick! Why would anyone do that? I was just wondering. You'd- Ma'am, no! Stop! Just- Just no! Alright. I would like to put a firecracker under a rock. Why am I not surprised? Ooh, how about a soda can? That's just as fun, not quite as dangerous. I would like to blow up a soda can. That'd be cool. So, Carrie, you gonna go get him? It was your idea. You're less likely to get in trouble. You go, and I'll keep watch for you. That's just more suspicious. They know we were up to something. Choose you for it. I will go. Odds or evens? I will go. Wait, really? Yes. Okay, it's on the back porch, right by the door. Sneak around the side of the house, wait till they're not looking, grab the tube inside the paper bag. It says Cracker Bomb, right on it. Stick it under your shirt and come on back. I will. Okay, doesn't that kid creep you out? I feel kind of sorry for him. Like, 
No TV? No fireworks? No fun ever! That's gotta be some weird religious thing. What if he's like Chris? Cousin Chris? Would you trust Chris to set off firecrackers? Yeah, I would. Really? He's not stupid. He just... If you explain to him step by step how to do it, he'll do it. Well, this kid isn't like Chris, though. He's not... He's just... different. I think it's like a cult thing. I bet his whole family was probably in a weird cult, and they finally break out and leave and move here, and he's here with them, and he's free for the first time, and he should get to try blowing up a soda can with a firecracker. It's the fourth, doofus. Independence Day. You gotta celebrate freedom. I'm back. You brought the whole bag? They're gonna know. It's okay. What is that all over it? Is that ketchup? It's blood. What? Wait, why is there blood on the bag? Because there's blood everywhere. Your parents are dead, and my parents are eating them. Now, all we need is a soda can. That was New Kid Next Door, written by Arthur M. Jolly. It was performed by Kelsey Johnson as Carrie, Sophie Cook as Simone, and Luke Romagnoli as the kid next door. All right, so joining me now is the amazing playwright and accomplished screenwriter, Arthur M. Jolly. How are you, sir? Doing well and pleased to be here. Uh, so, uh, for those out there who aren't familiar with you and your work, could you tell us your origin story? Who is Arthur M. Jolly, and how'd you get involved in playwriting and screenwriting? Um, I think I did the absolute typical um, trajectory most playwrights did. I started out working as a stuntman in a and a special effects artist in movies, and then I quit that to become a helicopter pilot. Flew helicopters for about eight years. Uh, learned in Oakland and then flew uh, in Fort Rucker, Alabama for the army and then ended up flying tourists into the Grand Canyon four times a day out of Las Vegas and um, then quit that to write full time like you do. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I'd, I'd always written. I've loved writing since I was a little kid. So that was always a hobby. Uh, and it was really seeing my first play being performed that made me think, oh, this is something that I have to at least try and do as a career. Yeah, and, and you have a very impressive resume. You've written a lot of plays that have been produced and published. You've written a lot of screenplays that have been made into movies. Uh, you even were recognized by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences with the Nickel Fellowship. Uh, and then there was the joining pin and sword that you won three times the playwriting competition. Yeah. And that's in out of Chicago. Yeah. So the play the audience just heard is called new kid next door. And I guess one of the things that really interested me about it is how you sort of blended this 4th of July backdrop with the horror genre. Uh, cause when I, w- when I was looking for plays, I was looking for 4th of July plays, not necessarily horror. And, and then I came across this one and then I got, to the end and there was this nice little twist and it was just beautiful and it was such a nice touch. Yeah, a little weird and twisted. and Yeah, it's interesting. I don't even know why it was the 4th of July. I think, or maybe I start, I forget which way around it was that I started. I think I, I was writing a 4th of July play and then it became a horror as it went along. It, was, it wasn't something that I planned out. This was one that I started writing to see what would happen and where it would go. Yeah, and I was thinking and, about that 
because really it could have been any holiday in the backdrop. You I mean the story is there, and then they could have been talking about something else other than fireworks. So you, was it always Fourth of July, or do you have any other? Sorry, yeah, it was always Fourth of July. I I think th- that it being a celebration of freedom and independence was what then guided the nature of of that character who is is discovering a, a kind of freedom that they haven't had in the past even if it's the you know freedom to be a, a vampiric monster <laughs> of some ill-defined kind yeah and this is a from what i understand it's a relatively new play that you wrote has it been on stage anywhere yet and have you got to see it or yeah it, uh, it was done at a high school in anchorage in alaska um i think think that's the only performance of it so far and i didn't get to see it unfortunately so i i have yet to see it up on stage but hopefully that'll happen there's uh one one of the things that came up while we were recording i was kind of listening to the young actors who who play the characters and um the little one that plays the new kid next door he was kind of curious of what this family next door is are they vampires are they cannibals and he was throwing out all these little hints that you gave how they don't go where they're not invited or uh, and he saw he listened to that radio broadcast in 1937 and the way he says it kind of implies that he you know heard that live and not really a recording but you know they go out during the daytime and and they don't like the night which is kind of the reverse of vampires uh, so I mean, did you would did you just want to keep it a mystery, or in your head did you already did you have something set for what they are? Are they vampires, cannibals, or is it a cult thing like Simone suggests? Oh, I definitely think it's supernatural. I I, I don't think that Raziel is is human, because um, yeah, I I absolutely think that that they were listening to that radio broadcast when it happened. So, you know, they are immortal or something like it. And the, the comment about not being invited definitely ties into vampire lore. But I also didn't want it to be something that people would recognize and be like, oh, so they're vampires or oh, so that I wanted it to be, this is something new and different and creepy and you don't quite know what it is about them that makes them different. So it was very deliberately crafted to be something that you couldn't just say, oh, I know what that is, because you don't. So uh, aside from playwriting, um, you've been quite successful with screenwriting. And the other night, I actually watched a movie you wrote called Where We Disappear on Amazon Prime. And uh, it was was just so good. And it was well cast. And it had such engaging dialogue. And it was intense the entire time. It just kept my attention and interest. Um, I was hoping, I know we're talking, we're here to talk about playwriting, but I was hoping you can kind of talk about the process of how you got that screenplay made into a movie. Well, serendipitously, it was a play. Um, I, I wrote a play called A Gulag Mouse, which was one of the plays that won Joining Sword and Pen and is um, about five women in the in a Siberian bunkhouse of a gulag, a, a prison camp. And this new arrival upsets all the alliances and hierarchies. Um, And they are fighting sometimes physically, sometimes viciously over a scrap of food or who gets the bunk nearest the stove, which are also life or death stakes for them because it is everyone is on the edge of death in it. So I had written this play. It was been done many times. 
And there was a production in LA done by Sacred Fools Theatre Company that was a wonderful production, if I say so myself, but it was just absolutely a top-notch production. And one of the actors invited a friend of hers to come see her who was a film producer, because that's what actors do. If they're in something, they're going to invite, you know, industry people to come see them. And the film producer saw it, um, Vanessa Pantley, and she had been looking for a contained idea for a movie that could be done on a low budget for um, a friend of hers, uh, Simon Fink. So he came, saw the play. They saw it a couple more times. Then they came to me and said, we'd like to make a movie of it. I reached into my pocket and pulled out the film script version that I'd written a couple of years before for a different producer that had optioned it and then it had lapsed. So I had a script ready to go. They were excited by it. We started filming, I think, four months after they saw the play because they were looking for something and I had it. And so it just, it was, you know, one of those things that never ever happens is someone sees a play and says, let's make a movie. And then it goes into production. Um, it's kind of like every playwright's dream, like a film yeah. producer sees their play and is like, yeah, hey, I want to make a movie out of that. Yeah, it's so it it all just worked out so well. And um, yeah, so Amazon Prime, go look at it where we disappear. Yeah, it like, it's a it's a great movie. I highly recommend it. Um, and I know it's based in the Soviet Union where and the look, it looks so legit, <laughs> the whole movie. It's like I know it's an indie film, but it looks like some big production company made this it, from the locations the costuming uh the actors involved they did uh, where, where was it filmed at? it was all almost all of it was filmed in southern california um the all of the interiors were on a sound stage in burbank there's um a movie ranch about 20 miles out where we filmed all the concentration camp the gulag exteriors um and then the one scene in the forest we went out somewhere up in the the hills you know a couple hours outside of la and rented a big snow machine and filled the forest full of snow to shoot the scene and then they went up to canada to get some shots of trains and you know uh yeah but it was all it was all la it was all low budget and it it doesn't look it it looks really good yeah were you on set a lot for it or yeah yeah, no, I, I made it very clear that I was going to be on set oh, whether nice. they wanted me or not. <laughs> it's like, that's in the contract. I'm going to be there. Um, and as long as you stay out the way and don't make too much of a fuss, it's, it's I think, so useful to help have the writer there. Um, speeds up things in production. Uh, and, uh, and one of the things I like to do whenever I watch any movie, really, is I get on IMDb and I'll kind of look up, you know, different cast info, all that good stuff. And while I was looking at this movie... Um, you know, I looked at your profile to see what other writing credits you have of movies you've done, but I also noticed you got some acting credits and I kind of want to piggyback a, a question here and this is kind of a deep cut, but I saw that in 1989, you were in Toxic Avenger Part 2 and Toxic Avenger Part 3. You had these bit parts and I know we're here to talk about playwriting, but I'm a cinephile and these are some cult classics and I'm just... I had to ask you if there's any interesting stories that go along with how you got involved in those two movies. Oh my goodness. I am. I'm, I'm so glad this is a podcast and no one can see me blushing right now, <laughs> but I am. Um, yeah. That was my first job out of high school. I was 18 years old. I'd been doing 
special makeup effects for NYU student films and things. And I got on this job doing special effects for $50 a week. Uh, and the only way you can pay someone that little, even back in the 80s, we had to turn in fake receipts. You had to turn in two receipts that added up to 50 bucks so that it didn't look like they were, you were paying you way under minimum wage. It looked like a reimbursement. Um, and I was working 20 hour days, six days a week and thinking that this was the film industry. And if I couldn't make it, if I couldn't stick this out, then I wasn't going to make it in the industry. No idea how badly I was being exploited, but it was an experience and I learned a lot. Um, yeah, I, was, I think I was one of three people that made it from pre-production all the way to the end of principal photography. Whole crews just kept quitting and, you know, being <laughs> replaced and quitting and being replaced. So, oh, and the acting part was entirely, you know, anyone on the set, oh, you're not doing anything. Hey, go jump in and be a, a background character or something in this. It was, it was entirely because I happened to be there. Nice. Nice. All right. So uh, before we part ways, give us a, a rundown of anything that you have coming up. Is there anything creative that you want to plug? Where can people see the next Arthur M. Jolly play or movie in a theater near them? Well, where we disappear on Amazon Prime, if you want a heavy drama. Um, for live theater, I've got two productions happening in December. One in Mesa, Arizona, which is a broad comedy, The Lady Demands Satisfaction. And then my newest play, which is a new version of A Christmas Carol without Scrooge in it, will be in Los Angeles at Loft Ensemble in December. Awesome. And where can people find you? What's your website? And do you oh. do social media a lot or anything? Arthurjolly.com. It's got all of my upcoming productions. It's got links to my plays. There are free monologues to download if you're an actor looking for something for an audition. And uh, yeah, Arthurjolly.com. Nice. Well, Arthur, thank you so much for chatting with me and for sharing your play with us. Keep writing plays. Keep writing movies. Uh, I mean, you do great stuff, and I hope we get a chance to collaborate again in the future. Me too. Keep doing wonderful podcasts. Thank you all for listening. And if you are associated with a theater and you would like to produce the play you heard today on your stage, please send an email to gatheredbytheghostlight at gmail.com, or you can reach out to the playwright directly at his website, arthurjolly.com. This program is supported in part by the Greater Augusta Arts Council through a grant from its partner agency, the National Endowment for the Arts. Intro and outro music, as always, is provided by artist JK47. And if you enjoy this podcast, maybe you're a longtime listener, or maybe this is the first episode you've ever heard. Let us know. Please leave us a rating or a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And also be sure to follow Gather by the Ghostlight on social media to stay up to date on new episodes. I'm Jonathan Cook, and as always, stay safe, and I'll see you next time we Gather by the Ghostlight.
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Grand Canyon University makes earning your degree possible with over 130 academic programs for traditional campus students with more than 80 bachelor's programs offered online. GCU provides you with the personal support you need from complimentary unofficial transcript evaluations within 24 business hours to scholarships, academic support, and your GCU graduation team led by your own university counselor. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.